You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Happy Monday and welcome to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Matt Miguez. What a weekend for college athletics. Raging Cajuns clinching the Sunbelt Conference Championship for the third consecutive year, 17th title in school history. They're on their way to their 23rd consecutive appearance in an NCAA regional. We'll dive into that. LSU and McNeese as well going to NCAA regionals. McNeese winning the Southland regular season as well as the tournament title. We'll get into that. Some NBA playoffs, some Saints news, all of it and so much more. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh today from 4 to 6. Producer extraordinaire slash co-host with the most slash Celtics mega fan, James Mesh. James, how was your weekend, bud? Oh, it was stupendous. How about yours? It was good. I mean, I got, I got to graduate college. I mean, so that was that was fun. I bet that that was a good. But that's time. a huge weight off your shoulders. Yeah, yeah. Now now I get to focus a hundred percent of my time into into hanging out with you two hours a day. Nice. So that's fun. I feel so special. You should. <laughs> you, re- you really should. Um, so let's do this because we we haven't we haven't come up with a poll question. I told the, you what the poll. You didn't put day. it up. I did not. Oh. I'll I'll do it real quick. It, it it's the Crocs one. Yeah. Okay. The poll question is going to be: How do you feel about Crocs? Do you love them? Do you hate them? Are you indifferent? I absolutely hate them. I think that they are a disgrace to fashion. Um, <laughs> and I like to consider myself a, a guy who knows fashion pretty well. I mean, I, I just I, I have a good sense of style. I like to think, and uh, Crocs are just not a part of it. And and the reason that this came up is because James bought a new pair of Crocs over the weekend, and they are neon orange. Hell yeah! And absolutely, <laughs> they're hideous. great. They're great. Absolutely hideous. They're great. That's what I hooped in yesterday. <laughs> How? How did you hoop in Crocs? I put them in sport mode. James Mesh, ladies and gentlemen, he is an anomaly. And you know, um, and you know what's great? I made more threes in them than the than the Bucks did all game yesterday. God. Oh God! Hell yeah! Okay, I did. so let's take let, let's take the Celtics aside. What was your favorite sports moment of the weekend? Uh, probably seeing the Suns go down. Oh. And, that was that was good to watch. Not only go down, but go down the way that they did. Oh yeah, <laughs> just put them in a grave. Like that was that was absolutely brutal. One twenty three to ninety. Luka Doncic goes for thirty five, ten and four. I mean, you look. The Suns only scored twenty seven points in the first half. In the first half, they scored twenty seven points. 
The only reason that they were able to make it a game is because they scored 63 in the second half. The score at halftime was 57 to 27. And then after three quarters, it was an 18 point game. No, my math's wrong on that. It was it was still a massive lead. I'd I'd have to I'd have to actually sit there and crunch the numbers. But the the point is is that the Mavs were up 30 at halftime, and at one point they were up as much as 41. Now here's an interesting tidbit that I found on Twitter last night. If it would have stayed a 40 point or more defeat. It would have only been the second time in NBA history that a Game 7 would have been decided by a 40-point margin of victory. The first time was in 2004. And, James, can you tell me what team that it it involved? The Mavericks? It was the Mavericks. It was a 2004 Eastern Conference semifinals. Wouldn't have been the Western? Yeah, Western. I'm sorry. Um, and they played, oh man, I'm drawing a blank. I'm drawing a blank on who they played, but regardless, the, the history is that they would, it would have been involving the Mavs both times in, in NBA history, which is absolutely unreal. The other game last night, as we'll get into later, the Boston Celtics demolishing Milwaukee 109 to 81 behind seven three-pointers from Grant Williams. It was only the fourth time in NBA history that seven threes were hit in a playoff game. Steph Curry did it twice, and Marcus Morris has done it once. So Grant Williams joins a pretty elite list as one of three players to make seven threes in a playoff game. Pretty impressive. Uh, some other headlines that, that came out over the weekend that we should touch on. Drew Brees basically got fired by NBC. James- I was I was told it was mutual. I was I, I thought it was mutual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I don't I'm sure. I don't think it, I, I, I don't and, necessarily and, think it was though. And and to to an extent it probably was because I've read multiple things that said Drew wasn't a fan of, of being an analyst. He he much preferred calling games, which, if I read correctly, he is still under contract to call games. He's just out as an analyst. So, from from what I understand, he's still going to be the play-by-play guy, I mean, the color commentator for Notre Dame football. But the other thing that's going to kind of throw an eggshell into this is Sean Payton gets announced today as joining Fox Sports as a new studio analyst. Does he recruit Drew Brees in? Does Drew Brees maybe be an analyst for a year, and then next year Peyton and Brees are a commentary team on Fox? Because, you know, they are going to have to replace Buck and Aikman. James, would you enjoy Sean Payton and Drew Brees being a commentary team? Like they work together? Right. Uh, like for the same game, that the only thing about that is one of them would have to develop being the play by play, the play by play guy. Correct. That's the only thing because they're both 
they're both color commentators. Right. That's they're both kind of like the same style. Drew, because Drew's because they both like to break down the play after it's already happened. However, so it's like who's going to be the one to call it, or do they kind of just go back and forth? Like you'll have maybe Sean call one play, maybe. And then, like, maybe during a timeout they switch or, like, maybe switch during possessions or during specific here's, quarters. Here, here's my thing. If somebody is going to do sports commentary out of the outside of the box, it's Sean Payton. Oh, yeah. It's Sean Payton. So, who knows? Maybe two color commentators that halfway do play-by-play might be a new idea in sports journalism that takes off. That could be an interesting concept. We got a jam-packed show for you today at 4.30. Wilson Alexander will join us for his weekly Tiger Talk segment. Tiger baseball didn't have a great weekend. Tiger softball didn't have a great weekend, but it got a little bit better yesterday when they found out their regional announcement. We'll talk about all of that. And then at 5 o'clock, Ross Jackson from the Locked On Network is going to join us to talk Jarvis Landry, contract details, how he fits into the offense. Are the Saints done making moves? Some people don't seem to think so. Some people are still saying that the Saints still need a quarterback. Make it make sense. Because it doesn't. Jameis Winston is the guy. It's just... Whether you like it or not, Jameis Winston is going to be the starting quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. So you're you're talking about forty point margins, right? Mm-hmm. In a game seven. In a okay, uh, I think that this this would count because you said it was Matt. It involved the Mavs, and and they were the one that won by forty. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says two thousand four oh five uh, Western Conference first round against the Rockets one sixteen seventy six. Okay, so that's what it was. That's what it was. That's also. what it was. Um, Lar- largest margin, like overall, was uh, Nuggets versus Hornets in 2008 2009 playoffs in the first round, 121 63. Oh, the poor New Orleans Hornets. <laughs> Barely averaged 15 a quarter. Oh, my God. That's brutal. Okay. Well, so, o- almost 16. Almost 16. The game hotline open as always, 706 01. 1-1. And here in Acadiana, you can watch the simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. And if you want to see the Astros in person, then listen up. The Game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with our latest Astros weekend getaway. Houston takes on the Chicago White Sox on Saturday, June 18th, and you can be there. All you got to do is register in the game clubhouse, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher AC, Le Meridian Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We'll take a time out and dive deeper into the NBA playoffs on the other side. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Here comes the money! 
Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. Money, money, James Mesh is feeling very good about himself today, as well as his Boston Celtics. So, James Mesh, the floor is yours. Talk about your boys this weekend. Oh, felt great. It, it feels good to finally have this series be over when it should have been done in five. But hey, I'll take Grant Williams making seven threes, going deer hunting, being a sharp shooter. From beyond the arc, I'll take that. Especially when it's a blowout win. Just get it done really, really quickly and then just kind of cruise the rest of the way. Right. I did the only thing that I really didn't enjoy about the game was the fact that they again probably t- they took more threes, like the threes were over half of their shots. Didn't enjoy that. But then again, you look at the defense that they played, it they kind of just clogged the paint at that point. They were like, look, we don't want you to, to take any more, anything less than 18 feet, which is fair. They they were kind of attacking since like game two. They've been attacking the paint more and more. Right. So I would say, I mean, if they're going to leave the, the three open, why not? I, I guess just shoot more. Not mad at it, but ready to move on. Ready to move on. So so glad this is finally over. Giannis did, though. He is the first player to have 200 points, 100 rebounds, and 50 assists in in one series. So that was was pretty wild to see. Concerned that's that's the first one ever to do it in history. But overall from the game, I could tell the Bucks were out of it. I think they finally hit that fatigue point. it, It finally... The fact that Chris Middleton did not play that whole series finally caught up to him. It caught up to him game six, and then it was just over in game seven. They they had a good first quarter. You felt like, oh, this is gonna be a game. Celtics are struggling, but then as soon as the second quarter came, it was just it was easy money after that. Yeah, I mean one oh nine to eighty one at halftime it was they were it was 48-43. You outscored them by ten in the third, and then you outscored them by thirteen in the fourth. And that was that was the cruise by court. That's when that's when they were just chucking up threes because why not? They they got five people in the paint. Can't really can't really do much else about that. So I'm not mad at it. Game good to watch. It was fun watching everyone. I don't know if you had seen this, but did you see Peyton Pritchard? Uh, Talk to the bench and like kind of talk to the crowd. Be like, "That's what I do." Did you no. see that? No. Oh, I'm gonna no. send it to you during the break. That because that, that was funny to, to see. Because he's like, "This is what I do. I do that." And I think it was after a step back on so, somebody. So, what are your thoughts on Miami? It's gonna be another challenge for sure. I mean, they they kind of they crushed. Who was it they played in the first round? I can't remember now. Um, it wasn't it wasn't round? Toronto. Was who was that? Who was? Yeah, I mean, they they that was just kind of chopped cheese for them. A- Atlanta was just chopped cheese, and then Philadelphia they kind of made it a little interesting, I guess you could say. That I mean, they won two games. Harden kind of resurrected for a game or two, but I mean, they they were just kind of it was chopped liver for them. That was that was easy money for them. This will finally be a challenge for Miami. I wonder what exactly will 
will kind of be the deciding factor of it all because the Celtics, they weren't challenged by Brooklyn. Not really. But then it was like the ultimate test with Milwaukee. Yeah. But then neither neither series for for Miami, it felt like they really had to sweat it out. It never felt like they had to go try hard. So it's like, do you, will will the Celtics who have been battle tested will they take the edge or will it be the team that hasn't had to like exert as much energy? You know what I mean? That's true. That's that that's true. ultimately to me what it comes down to. I ultimately think this this team when it comes to the Celtics, I think that this team it it's battle tested for sure, but it's mentality. They don't quit. I've seen the post games. I've seen them going into the locker rooms. They're hype after every win. There's, and it's not just a yay. We won a game. It's we won. Let's go, boys. Let's go get the next one. It feels like it feels like this team is different, right? Whereas before they were sat, it felt like they were kind of satisfied with a few wins. As soon as they got a little bit of success, they got a little taste. They were full. They don't feel full right now. They're still hungry. They're still looking for more in my eyes. And I'm going to say it right now. I think it's Boston in seven again, six or seven. I agree with that. Uh, I I had somebody tell me the, over the weekend that Boston's going to win it all. That's what that's and that's I what a lot of the, disagree. That's what a lot of the, the talk was about. It's like whoever wins this series between Milwaukee and Boston, going to win it all. They're going to, going to the finals and winning it all. Yep. Now on, on the other side, give me your thoughts on Dallas Golden State. Dallas Golden State. This one's going to be really interesting. I thought the Warriors were going to make it to the conference finals the whole time. I felt pretty good about them just going to the final straight up because it was like the Suns. We thought we thought they looked really good. I mean, they were the only team with sixty wins, so it was like, oh, this is this gonna be easy win? This is gonna be easy for them to get to the finals again, and hopefully not. We don't see a repeat like we did four years in a row with Cleveland and Golden State. But whatever we saw the the whole series with them and New Orleans, I mean, look. I like the Pelicans. I mean, I was watching. I got hype as soon as they actually started to figure themselves out and pull their pants up. Right. I thought the fact that even without Devin Booker for a few games, they still struggled. Even and even when they got him back, it took it took Cam Johnson and it took Mikhail Bridges to pretty much go 100%, 110% from the field for them to kind of only get a 10-point win or a 10 or 10 or 15-point win over over New Orleans. It felt like they it, it took a lot longer for them to get the series over with than it should have. And then they took the 2-0 lead against Dallas, but as soon as it went to Texas, I mean, that's when the whole script flipped. And and I with Matt with the Mavs, they're definitely dangerous. I felt like as soon as Luca could get one series win, as soon as they can move on to the next round, I felt like anything was possible. Yep. Because once once he gets that feeling, it's almost like take, making your first shot. You go you go zero for five from the field to start off the game, but as soon you as see you that you one. see that one you see that one go in the basket, whether it's a layup, a jump shot, a free throw, 
I don't care, a crazy circus shot. Once you see that one, all bets are off. So I still like Golden State, but I could definitely see, especially if Golden State still kind of feels like it has that poor shooting like I saw the last couple of games in the Memphis series. Yeah. If they, if they still continue that poor shooting streak, that does worry me. Because I, I saw, when I was watching the games, especially game six on Friday night, or was that Thursday? No, I think it was Friday. Whatever, whatever day it was. I Whenever I saw it, I just kind of saw them, saw Steph kind of just chucking stuff up for just for no reason. You know what I mean? Soon, as soon as him or Clay got the ball, it doesn't matter if they were cut or not. It, it kind of just felt forced. It right. didn't feel like they were in a groove because we weren't seeing them make shots. Ultimately, Clay went 8 for 14 from 3, but Steph was 4 for 16. He, yeah, I, he, he, he was like 5 missed shots in a row right. from 3. It was like, okay, well now you're just chucking up just because. Just yeah, I mean, the Warriors have proven time and time again, especially in this postseason, they have weaknesses. They have areas that they can be exploited. And if if Dallas can figure out how to, you know, capitalize on those weaknesses, I'm not saying Dallas can win the series, but they could make it very interesting. Yeah, they'll make them sweat it. The Dallas Phoenix series turned on its head whenever Devin Booker took the ball from Luca, and Luca gave yep. him that stare, like, "Okay, yep, that's how we're gonna do this." All right. Since then, Luca's been possessed. And I remember, I remember after the game, after game five, he said, it's real easy to act tough when you're up. Right. And it's no, like, as soon as you got to game seven, you saw Devin Booker five minutes in. Oh, right. Right. Oh, he hit me. Oh, no. Well, that's like last night. Learn, after learn the, a lot from Chris Paul. That's like last night after the game, they asked Luca, they said, hey, were you aware that you had as many points as the Suns at halftime? Yeah. And he said, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> of course I did. <laughs> I made sure I knew. Absolutely, I knew. Why wouldn't I? <sighs> so let's see. We've got Golden State and Boston in the finals. I I would not be against that. I I think that I remember seeing somebody else call that like at the beginning of the playoffs. He said, I think it was at, it was at the end of the first round. He said my pick for the finals at this point would be Golden Boston State, and Golden State. Which I, I was like, you know what? I think so too because Celtics they've they've figured it out and Golden State it feels like now that Steph isn't by himself anymore you got Clay back and Jordan Poole has become such a threat and become pretty much the third splash bro I would say yeah I, I feel like once you've rec- replicated that you can go back to those good old days of 2014 2000 15 2017 i mean you won't have kd but jordan Poole can be like your new younger version yeah. of kd and you and you'll still have clay back because clay had clay clay tore his acl against the raptors in the finals yeah, right i believe no that was kd he had tore his achilles when did clay i can't remember when but clay was out for two and a half years so right. the fact that you've reloaded and retooled I feel like them having the experience. They're going to be back be- normal next year. Yeah, because they this is the first time Luke has been right. in the conference finals. This yep. will be his first one, and it feels like, well, you always kind of have to give the edge 
to experience. To experience, absolutely. So, not totally discounting the Mavericks, but I would have to give the slight edge to Golden State at this point. I agree. I agree. Uh, before we take a timeout, breaking news out of Tulane. Tulane baseball has parted ways with head coach Travis Jewett. Tulane AD Troy Dannon met with Jewett and the team today at 4 p.m. to announce the decision. That's interesting because Tulane has been a a postseason team in college baseball for a few years now under Jewett. This year they struggle, might not make the postseason, and you're instantly instantly going to fire a guy. Uh, that's interesting. Have to keep a uh, keep an eye on on what happens what happens there. As a reminder, the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to upgrade your experience for Downtown Rising. It's the ultimate Downtown Rising VIP experience. Score a pair of VIP passes plus a chance to meet the Cold War kids. All you have to do is register in the Game Rewards Club 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to win those VIP passes for Downtown Rising on Saturday, June the 4th. The ultimate Downtown Rising VIP experience is presented by Social Entertainment, Raider Solutions, the Louisiana Rage and Cajuns, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Mesh and, I ha- Mesh and I have an interesting way that you can win some passes to Downtown Rising. We'll tell you about it a little later on in the show. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Johnson throws, Boutte's got it wide open at the 10, far side, he's in for the score, hit high, hammered to left field, going back, taking a look, is Holcomb, and it's gone! Time to talk all things Bayou Bengals, with the advocates, Wilson Alexander, here is Tiger Talk, on Crunch Time, with Miguez and Mesh. The advocates, Wilson Alexander, joins us on this Monday, Wilson, good afternoon, man, how are you? I'm doing all right. How are y'all? Doing well, man. So look, right off the bat, let's talk some baseball. You know, a three-game sweep by Ole Miss. The The Friday night game got suspended in the third inning because of weather. They resumed it Saturday morning. LSU ended up losing that one 5-3. to three. And then in that second game, the originally scheduled one for, for Saturday, it just seemed like the brakes fell off for LSU. What went wrong? Uh, just about everything. When you lose, uh, like they did, uh, eleven to one, uh, nothing is is going right. I mean, Ole Miss had twelve hits. Um, LSU, you know, obviously only posted that one run. Um, they just couldn't seem to find anything uh, that worked in that game, and, and, uh, and Ole Miss ran away with it pretty easily. Really made for just a bad day after losing um, that resumed game one. Uh, this would put LSU in a, in a bad, in a bit of a bind, obviously, uh, heading into the final game on Sunday, which didn't go much better. Yeah, you know the eight to five loss on Sunday. So now, you know LSU's kind of put themselves behind the eight ball with 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 a week left to go. What what where do you think they stand now in terms of you know RPI and just you know regional conversation as a whole? It doesn't look good. Um, you know, we talked last week heading into this uh, the, the, this series, basically, and LSU was in a decent position, uh, sitting uh, at 14 and, and 10 in the league with two series to go, and then the SEC tournament. Um, they were, you know, they had a good shot. They were sitting kind of right there on the edge of hosting a regional, um, and it seemed like they'd be in a, in a good position to do so because they'd been playing pretty well. Well, when you get swept at home 
uh, by a team that now with this win, Ole Miss, I mean, they hadn't been having a very good year, but now they're kind of on the bubble of, of the postseason uh, as a whole. You know, LSU's RPI dropped to 37, down from 16 the week before. Um, it's dropped out of the top 25, and it's going to take uh, quite a lot. I mean, you probably need to you definitely need to win those on the road against Vanderbilt this weekend and make a deep run in Hoover uh, in the SEC tournament in order to have even a shot at hosting a regional now. Chatting with Wilson Alexander from The Advocate. So what does Vanderbilt bring to the table? I mean, obviously Vanderbilt is is a baseball powerhouse, but not having you know a year up to their standards this season, what can LSU do on the road in Nashville this weekend to maybe put themselves back on track before going to Hoover? Yeah, like you said, Vanderbilt, maybe not necessarily um, the team that they always have been, um, but they're still competitive. They've been playing better of late. Um, this is going to be a tough, you know, it's always tough to go on the road in the SEC to win, um, but particularly against a team that's starting to swing the bats better. Vanderbilt's now 34-16 and 16 overall, 14-13 and 13 in the league, and they're 20-9 and nine at home in particular. Um, LSU is going to have a lot on its hands, I mean, uh, Vanderbilt just a couple weeks ago uh, beat Georgia on the road, and then it just won a series at Arkansas as well before hosting LSU. So it's heating up, and it's going to be a tough challenge uh, this weekend. The way LSU's got to pitch a lot better, in particular, and uh, just swing the, the bats. I mean, nothing really went well in this series. So they got they got to just get back on track in every sort of uh, every sort of way. Now, l- looking looking at. From a coaching staff perspective, what is what's the message been from Jay Johnson recently uh, about the last few games? Yeah, he hasn't. I mean, changed it up. Go ahead. Uh, he hasn't changed it up too too much. Uh, Jay has uh, been pretty steady throughout the year. Um, he's rather frank when he speaks. I mean, he understands that this does not meet uh, their standard in any way, uh, any stretch of the imagination. Um, but he, he just knows they got to play better. They just got to keep practicing. Um, Jay's very much sort of a process kind of person. He thinks in that way, and uh, that they've got to, you know, get back out there and practice today and and continue to clean things up. You know, I don't doesn't seem like they're going to make any uh, massive changes. They haven't this year, even when the defense was struggling. Uh, they kind of stick with the guys that they had and um, just kind of try to make what work with what they've got and, and try to stay steady. Because they did this thing about baseball. Um, as bad as this weekend was, you can't turn it around. Uh, pretty quickly, starting tomorrow against Northwestern State. Um, they've just got to keep playing better and not let one game spiral into the next. Wilson Alexander, the advocate, joining us for Tiger Talk. All right, Wilson, let's transition to softball now. You know, on the surface, the, the Tempe Regional Arizona State has had a hell of a year. You know, what what's the message for, for LSU softball and what's the thoughts behind the fan base about this regional pairing? Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems difficult having to go all the way out to Arizona and be a two-seed. This hasn't been a great year for LSU softball. Um, not sure what the pulse of the fan base would be on that one necessarily, um, but it's going to be tough for them to kind of get their way out of that regional. Um, they, you know, they were one and done in the SEC tournament. Um, they've been sort of up and down here uh, throughout the year, um, and they're going to have a tough time, uh, you know, tough series uh, ahead of them, um, especially being that Friday night game against San Diego State. Um, they've got a got their work cut out for them to get out of out of that. What can you tell me going back to baseball? What can you tell me from from an injury standpoint? How's the health of the team? 
Um, it seems to be about the, the same. You know, the big piece, obviously, is Jacob Berry. Um, it's been a pain management thing for him ever since he hurt that finger, um, and that's what it's going to continue to be. And that sounds very ambiguous because it is. I mean, um, he didn't play uh, in this series over the weekend. Um, they're, you know, holding out hope that he can, can get back in there soon because he is such a catalyst for this offense. Um, but it's going to be sort of uh, TBD and not a, lot, not a big update there. Uh, it's going to just end, end up depending on how much he can handle uh, with that finger. And then, and then lastly, is uh, from a basketball standpoint, you know, what, what's the latest news on, you know, transfers or, or recruitment that, that you can share with us about Matt McMahon's team? Yeah, he's, uh, he, you know, excuse me one second. He is pretty much reloaded this roster. Obviously, they got Adam Miller back. That was huge after he missed last season with the ACL. Um, deciding to come back to LSU, even with, you know, sort of the backdrop of everything is that there's these possible sanctions coming, but we, we don't know what they're going to be. Um, later, maybe later this year, find out kind of what LSU is facing. Um, Matt McMahon, in spite of that, has been able to reload this roster. I mean, it was completely barren, as we all know. And he's got pretty much back to full capacity, um, and, and with some good players too. You know, a few Murray State transfers, a few other transfers, um, and then re-recruited a few LSU guys, um, which is no easy feat. When someone enters the transfer portal, there's usually a lot of folks coming after them, and he's gotten some of them back, including Adam. And so, um, it looks like they've got an interesting roster to work with heading into next season as they continue to put this thing together. Wilson Alexander of the Advocate is joining us for Tiger Talk. Wilson, is is there anything else, you know, LSU front as a whole that, that you feel um, relevant to, to share at this time? I mean, you know, football recruiting's kind of heating up. Um, there's uh, obviously this sort of a slower time of year on the football calendar, but, um, you know, picked up now back-to-back four stars over the last two days. This class has six guys in it now, all of them four stars. Um, and they have four top 200 recruits commit over since late March. Um, there should be even more recruits kind of coming down um, either this later this month or in June in particular when there's a lot of camps going on. This is Brian Kelly's, of course, first full cycle. And a big thing, you know, coming to the SEC was how is he going and this staff going to recruit against guys like Nick Saban and Kirby Smart and Jimbo Fisher, um, who have done a good job of getting players um, onto their teams. And um, they seem to be doing a decent job so far um, with this recruiting class. Um, it'll be interesting to track uh, how it continues to come together over the next couple months. Wilson Alexander of The Advocate has joined us for Tiger Talk. Wilson, really appreciate you taking the time, and uh, we'll talk to you next Monday, my friend. All right, thanks for having me. Tune in next week for another edition of Tiger Talk. Here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Yellow. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with tickets to a special sneak peek of Top Gun Maverick. That's right. Tom Cruise. Up close and personal. You can see it before anyone else by simply texting Top Gun to 68683. That's Top Gun to 68683 to score a pair of tickets for a special sneak peek May 26th at the Celebrity Theater in Broussard. It's the Top Gun sneak preview brought to you by Big Boy Toys and the game. 
Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hotline 706-0111 if you want to chime in on the show. Chris joins us on this Monday. What's going on, Chris? What you got? Hey, good afternoon. First off, I want to tell you all, thank you all for taking my call. Okay. Now, we hearing, you know, possibility of, of even just a speculation. I don't know if Drew Brees is talking just to hear himself talk. What are y'all thoughts on this? If, if is this, and and I want to know, is it a possibility that we go with Jameis Winston if he does decide, and maybe move Drew Brees uh, if he wants to come back to a team like Seattle? Um, just just let me hear what y'all think. Is this even a something that could happen? And y'all have a great day. Appreciate the call, Chris. Yeah, you know, I, I think that tweet was more cryptic than anything. Um, I, I think Drew was just trying to stir the pot a little bit. Could he come back to football? Maybe. Do I do I think that would be a smart move for him? No. Uh, I mean, you saw in the last couple years of his career, I, I love Drew Brees just as much as the next person, but his arm strength wasn't there the last couple of years. His accuracy even looked to fade out a little bit especially that last season. I personally, and you know, I'll I'll let James give his thoughts, but I I could, like I said earlier, like I talked about earlier, I could see Drew and Sean teaming up at, at Fox, you know, in a broadcasting sense before Drew comes back to football. I believe he becomes a pickleball champion before he goes back to the NFL. I, when it comes to it, I would say, he notice how he didn't say notice how he didn't say like come back to the Saints or the NFL. Notice how he just said football. Like he he could go play for right. like if he really wanted to. What if he goes like the same route as Manzel and goes play for the fan control football league, or goes play for one of these other football leagues, or what what is Brett Favre doing? Because I've seen him, I've seen like him go play like this football where the quarterback really doesn't have to do anything. Like they just kind of throw the ball and that's all they have to do. Everybody it's, it's almost like a five on five. You just have four receivers and you just have four defensive backs and like one linebacker safety, I guess. Yep. Uh, I could see him doing that, but like NFL and saints. No, not even close. Yeah, no, I, I definitely don't see that. Um, again, I definitely see him in a, in a broadcasting role before I see him returning to the NFL. Now the another thing I could see him doing is something that he's always talked about and that's coaching his kids. He has always been passionate about that. He is he's very passionate about the flag football league that he started up FNA. Uh so I I could see him taking on a bigger role in that regard. I could see him going into some entrepreneurial Ventures. I mean, he's he's loving his co-ownership of walk-ons. He's worked with Jimmy John's. He's worked with Waiter. I mean, there, there's a lot of things I could see Drew Brees doing, but football isn't one of them. If, if I'm if I'm a hundred percent honest, football just isn't going to be one of them. Taking a look at the poll question, what are your thoughts on Crocs? So far, forty-four percent of you say you love them. Thirty-three percent of you say they're okay. Twenty-two percent of you are saying puke emoji. And I am one of them because they're terrible, especially neon orange ones. They're swag. James. They're swag. 
that's uh, that's absurd. Like why why do you even remotely believe that that would be okay? It's my favorite color. I mean, that's fair, but they're my favorite color and I liked them and it especially worked with the outfit that I wore. Cuz I had the white tee with the orange Nike check with the white socks, so I got the orange Crocs. I mean, I I thought the fit went hard. Dude, you James Mesh, you're you are something else. You are I'm a, spe- you are, I'm a special kind of breed. You are an incredible person. I am. Uh before we finish our number one, earlier we touched on Cajun softball. They will be heading to Clemson, South Carolina to partake in the Clemson regional with Clemson, who is the number ten seed, Auburn, and UNC Wilmington. Now, speaking with Justin Robichaux, um, Jerry Glasgow is out for the time being with COVID. Uh, so Justin Robichaux is assuming the responsibilities of, you know, kind of running the program as, as of right now. He met with the media last night at the selection special. And one thing that, that Justin Robichaux really touched on last night was finding a way to bring this softball team together for one common goal and, and that is to get to Oklahoma City so here's here's coach Robichaux on bringing like I said bringing the team together for one common goal any you know organization and a team when you start out you know it's a it's you know in this case, 18 girls from all over the United States. In our case, you got two from another country. So that's, that's, that's not an easy task to do to bring that many people into a locker room and bring together on a common goal. And um, I think what they've done a good job of is, is no matter what you throw at them, they'll overcome it. Um, their motto this year is find a way. And I think you've seen that throughout the span of this year. They've, they've found a way to continue to move forward. Um, and that's where I think we're proud of as a staff is, you know, with the old group and the young group, they've meshed. And when they take the field, their goal is to play softball. Um, and that's, that's what you hope for, you know. But sometimes the, the journey of a season takes you through twists and turns. We'll dive deeper into Cajun softball in hour number two. Real quickly, the Houston Astros coming off of a two out of three against Washington. However, that one loss did snap a 11-game win streak for the Astros. Uh, and then they responded on yesterday with a 8 nothing win. They will look to continue another win streak tonight at Fenway Park as they take on the Boston Red Sox. Kind of cool. Jeremy Pena is, is going to be Jeremy Pena's first trip to Boston as a as an MLB player, and he grew up about an hour outside of Boston. So that's a, that's a storyline to look out for in tonight's contest. Jake Odorizzi getting the start for the Astros. He has been very consistent for Dusty Baker. 3-2 and two on the year with a 3.38 ERA. In 26 and two-thirds innings, he's only given up 22 hits and 17 strikeouts. 
Garrett Whitlock will be on the mound for the Red Sox. One and one on the year with a 2.19 ERA. He's pitched 24 and two-thirds innings, 15 hits, and he has struck out 34. James, I know you're I know you're not too much of, of a baseball guy, but you know, you, you talked earlier about you talked last week about how the Red Sox could be a potential favorite for you considering your love of Boston sports. I was talking. You know, about, I was talking about the Bruins. Well, I know, but you also mentioned that oh, you could like be a fan a, of the Red Sox if you had if you had to pick a baseball team. So where, where does where does your allegiance lie in these next three games between the Astros and the Red Sox? Oh, well, it's Astros. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I just said I said I was like whatever with them because that was one of the teams I played as them and the Yankees. I played I played as both, and I but I also played as the Cardinals. So, I, like, it was I, – I don't really have an allegiance to any of those three. I'm more of just an Astros. But if I had to pick an alternative, I guess the Cardinals, since I – uh, since that was, like, the last team I played for. Hmm. Other than that, I mean, the other two are – the other two are whatever to me. Uh, and I, I specifically also don't pick either one because that's a heated rivalry between the two. So I don't – I just stay out of that. Right. Hour number two, going to be jam-packed. Ross Jackson's going to join us right off the top to discuss Jarvis Landry and Saints minicamp. And for the rest of the show, hotline is open, 706-0111. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh back after this top-of-the-hour sports update on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Our number two of two here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. As a reminder, the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help with your date night blues. That's because once you become a member of our rewards club, you'll have the opportunity to win excellent prizes like a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. We want to help you take your lady out for some delicious seafood, but you can only win that $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House by joining the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. We told you before the timeout that we have a stacked hour number two. Let's start it the only way we know how. With our guy Ross Jackson of the Locked On Saints Network. Ross, what's going on, man? How's your Monday? Hey, buddy. Doing great, man. Glad to be back here with you. Appreciate you having me on. Hope you do well. Always, man. Always. Always great to have you. So let's dive into the, this Jarvis Landry thing. One-year contract to join the black and gold and to come home. I'm a little surprised at the numbers, though. How did the Saints get away with only getting juice for $3 million? This is kind of what I expected this contract was going to look like. And it's, you know, it's incentive heavy, which I think is a big part of it. He could double his contract, mostly based on individual incentives. So that could mean having played, you know, a certain percentage of snaps throughout the 2022 season, a certain number of catches like they did with Emmanuel Sanders a few years ago. I know that a lot of people thought and heard that Jarvis Landry was looking for $15 million, $12 million over the course of the offseason, but that's never really felt like it was going to be a reality. Uh, at, especially at this point in the offseason, we're at post-draft. This is a May signing. This is considered late free agency. 
this is usually the time where NFL players abandon looking for the most amount of money and instead start to look for opportunities to put themselves in good situations with teams that can utilize them in a system in which they fit, and then that can allow them to hit the market one more time or another couple of times after that. So now he's set up to have a good season with the New Orleans Saints in a team that should be looking to throw the ball and put himself in a situation to where at 30 years old, he can hit the market again and perhaps look for a bigger contract next offseason. Now, you say hit the market and look for a bigger contract, which I agree that is his plan. However, what do you think the likelihood is that he has a good year and the Saints pay him the money that he deserves? There's a good opportunity for that to happen, for sure. And I think that you know that would be a situation where you're returning back to a team and you would know at that point how comfortable you are with incentives. The New Orleans Saints have a really, really great reputation when it comes to player incentives. If a player is close, they're going to do everything that they can to force-feed that player to get them their money. And so that also opens up the door to where if they can prove that to Jarvis Landry here in 2022, help him cross all of those incentives or as many as he can, and then that puts him in a situation to where he looks at 2023 as, hey, I can return to New Orleans, give them a cap-friendly quote-unquote deal that has some incentives in it built into it, and then know that I'm going to get my money because they're going to work to give me my money as long as I can stay on the field and stay healthy. So there's a lot of different opportunities there to where even if he has the good season this year in New Orleans, if they feel like, hey, you know, we were, you know, they they were close or or whatever the, the result of the season ends up being, and Jarvis Landry wants to be back in that situation, he could certainly rehash a bit of the sort of the team friendly approach while still getting the money that he wants going into 2023. Ross Jackson from the Locked On Saints Network joining us. All right, so Jarvis is now a New Orleans Saint. Where do you think he fits in with with this offense? Because between Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, Taysom Hill, Alvin Kamara, and now Jarvis Landry. And then you also factor in some of the guys that were on the team a year ago, Deontay Hardy, Marquez Callaway. There's a lot of weapons on this offense. Where does he fit yeah, in? Yeah, I think he becomes your second or third option at wide receiver. And, and by that, I mean he ends up being somebody that will probably play the majority of his snaps from the slot. He spent a lot of time. In the slot last year, I believe it was 46% of the Browns' total slot snaps were occupied by Jarvis Landry. And so, and that was in a, a season where he played only 12 games because he was dealing with some injuries and things like that. So I could see him getting back into that role, playing in the slot in 2022, being a go-to option for James Winston in the short and intermediate areas, but then also still being able to move to the outside, allowing Michael Thomas to take his snaps in the inside. He usually takes about a quarter of his snaps in the slot each season as well. So then what it basically does is that what Dennis Allen has talked about a bunch in terms of the multiplicity of the Saints' defense, particularly in the back end and they're sit with their safeties being interchangeable and Tyron Matthew and Marcus May, you now look at the multiplicity and the flexibility and versatility you now have on the offensive side because you can run Chris Olave out of the slot or Jarvis Landry or Michael Thomas out of the slot. You can run those guys from the outside as well. You also have that versatility with guys like Marquez Calloway, Trey Quan Smith, and Deontay Hardy. So his immediate plug-in should be as the as the slot guy, maybe the default slot guy, but don't expect him to stay there while the New Orleans Saints start to get creative and start to look at some gadget opportunities as well. On the running back front, I mean, obviously a, a Cam- Alvin Kamara suspension is impending, right? We just don't know the length that it could be. You know, where, where are the Saints trying to attack getting a veteran running back to, to kind of fill that void? Well, we saw them bring in Sony Michelle um, last week or, or the week before last, but he ended up signing with the Miami Dolphins, of course. 
Today, the Saints announced the return of Devine Zigbo, a running back they brought in as an undrafted free agent back in 2019. He's had some stints with a couple of other teams like Jacksonville Jaguars, also another stint with the New Orleans Saints. Now back in New Orleans, he would definitely be somebody to watch because he has shown a propensity to be able to to produce in the New Orleans Saints offense. Just never really got the real opportunity there with the backlogging of running backs they've had in the past. So I'd watch out for him. I'd watch out for Abram Smith, the young Baylor uh, running back they brought in as an undrafted free agent rookie this year. But I still think that they have a lot of trust in, in Mark Ingram. And I don't think that this team is ready to write Mark Ingram off. I mean, they went so far as trade for him to bring him in last year and make sure he got a new deal to keep him around for an additional year before doing so. So I'd definitely look at that. Um, the, the big question about Alvin Kamara is, is he going to be available for some portion of this or unavailable for some portion of the season? The tricky part is that we don't know the length of the suspension. We also don't know when that suspension is actually going to kick in either. I mean, we're getting pretty late into the offseason at this point, and they haven't even gotten to the hearing yet, which is at the beginning of August. So there's a chance that we see this sort of play out the way that we've seen it play out with P.J. Williams and Deontay Hardy at the time, Harris, in the past, in which the suspension doesn't kick in until later on in the season. So it gets a little tricky to sort of figure out when this is going to be, how long this is going to be, what that's going to be. But the Saints are clearly still looking at running back as an opportunity to be able to add to the room and also potentially prepare themselves for being without Alvin Kamara for some portion of time. All right, Ross. Minicamp got underway the other day. You know, What have you seen so far out, out of the rookies, and what can you expect to see over the coming days? Yeah, I, I think you, you enjoy seeing, you know, Chris Olave fluidity, how smooth he is, how crisp he is as a route runner. You know, the Saints had some issues at wide receiver last year with, you know, young players being thrust into positions that they weren't necessarily uh, able to get prepared for before the season with sort of the late breaking situation around Michael Thomas and all. Uh, starting in the offseason and then later on uh, during the regular season, learning that he wasn't going to be able to return. And so I think that, you know, you, you, it's kind of refreshing to see that. You hear Chris Olave talk a lot about his time with Michael Thomas. He spent 10 days in California with him. So, you know, you know that that sort of communication, that groove, that chemistry is already getting underway. In terms of what media gets to see at these, it's basically individual drills at the most, right? So, you know, it's hard to really make full-on evaluations of what you like. But in terms of just seeing his fluidity, seeing all the things that you expect to his attention to detail, that's really great. Um, you love the physique on guys like Trevor Penning as well as uh, Alante Taylor, the next two selections in the Saints draft. But some of the other names to really keep an eye out on are going to be the undrafted free agents that the Saints brought in. I mentioned running back Abram Smith, but also guys like Dejon Dixon out of Nichols, the wide receiver, big guy, six foot four, two hundred plus pounds. Um, uh, D. Anderson, an undra- uh, uh, actually came in as a rookie minicamp tryout from uh, Alabama A and M, former LSU wide receiver as well, but six foot six, two hundred plus pounds. Could he potentially have a Jawan Johnson trajectory if they keep him around? Lucas Kroll, another tight end out of Pittsburgh that's worth keeping an eye on as well. So lots of pieces, but you know, right now what we're seeing is pretty light work and a lot of on-air work. And so really you're just looking at, okay, what are the traits that you can pick out and what are the things that you're looking for the Saints to continue to develop throughout that? Ross Jackson of the Locked On Network joining us. Ross, you know, <laughs> Drew Brees had everybody spinning last night. <laughs> Uh, what, what what do you make of his comments? Uh, he's having fun. He's having fun on Twitter. Uh, you know the the the, un, the unfortunate part is you know Twitter as fun as it can be, you don't really get inflection in Twitter. And so when you read a tweet that says something along the lines of coming back to football, you wonder how he actually said it. Was he joking? I think it's entirely a joke. Dennis Allen mentioned that it was 
be pretty sure that that's in jest. I don't think we're going to see Drew Brees back on a football field anytime soon, but I'm looking forward to seeing what's next for him, whether he's out in NBC or, or whether he heads somewhere else. Uh, you know, I, I actually enjoyed uh, his work as a studio analyst. I enjoyed listening to him and Mike Tirico together. Um, there's a little bit of history in that pairing as well with the 2006 return to the Dome game. So uh, I, I'm excited to see what's next for him, but I don't think that what's going to be next is him donning a Florida Lee on Sundays and coming out as a New Orleans Saints starting quarterback. And then lastly, you know, Sean Payton joining Fox Sports as, as an analyst. Do we see him coach again? I think so. I, 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 that's my personal opinion. I, I don't think that Sean Payton's going to stay away from the game of coaching for too, very, for, for, for too long. Um, and I think that we could see him back to coaching, not with the New Orleans Saints, but see him back to coaching in 2023. But we'll see, right? We'll see how the studio analyst situation goes for him. I'm excited to see him. You see he has great camera presence. He's got, obviously, he's wildly smart, one of the you know, most prolific offensive minds in the NFL to have ever coached and potentially continue coaching. So we'll see. Maybe he does like Bill Cowher did. Bill Cowher never officially said, I'm not coming back to coaching. But then he got into the studio, and he became a studio analyst and never came back to coaching. So it's certainly possible that could be the case. But I don't know. I think Sean's still got a lot left in him, and so I wouldn't be surprised to see him back coaching somewhere in 2023. Ross Jackson from Locked On Saints joins us. Ross, really appreciate you taking the time as always. Really great stuff, and uh, we look forward to talking to you soon. Absolutely. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks for having me on. I'll talk to you all soon. Stay safe and take care, all right? Appreciate you, Ross. All right, James, let's stay on the topic of Saints. Let's do this. We've got some tickets to Downtown Rising to give away. So here's what we're going to do we got a trivia question for today's show. First person to call in at 706-0111 and answer the question correctly gets the two free tickets. Who is the first Saints wide receiver to catch double-digit touchdown passes in a season? Once again, who was the first Saints wide receiver to catch double-digit touchdown passes in a season? First person to call 706-0111 with the correct answer will get two free tickets to Downtown Rising featuring the Cold War Kids on Saturday, June the 4th. We'll take a timeout. When we return, we'll have that answer. Crunch time with Miguez and Mesh on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. It is Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with ride tickets for the Cajun Heartland State Fair at the Cajun Dome happening May 26th through June 5th. Text CHSF to 68683 to win a family four-pack of ride tickets for the Cajun Heartland State Fair. Once again, CHSF to 68683 to win that family four-pack of ride tickets for the Cajun Heartland State Fair. Speaking of the Cajun Heartland State Fair, Miguez and Mesh will be live at the Cajun Heartland State Fair on Tuesday, May the 31st. 
We're going to have some fun out at the Cajun Dome for the Cajun Heartland State Fair. Cajuns baseball struggled quite a little, quite a bit uh, this past weekend in San Marcos, falling in three straight games to Texas State, who is the Sun Belt Conference leader. They fell by the scores of five seven. 4-6, and 9-11, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Saturday was definitely a game that Louisiana should have won. Uh, they were in the lead as, as late as the eighth inning and just kind of let it slip away. Friday, very competitive as well. And then yesterday, you scored two in the first, and then you, you let Texas State score Four in the first, one in the second, four in the third behind a grand slam by Jose Gonzalez. It was his second home run of the first two innings. He had a homer in the first. He had a, and then he had the grand slam in the third to make it nine to two at one point. And the Cajuns respond with two in the seventh. Texas State would also get two in the seventh. So it was 11 to four. And then Louisiana would get five in the eighth. But that would be all she wrote for that one, 11-9. The Cajuns losing despite out-hitting the Bobcats 18-13. They fall to 30-20, 17-10 in the Sun Belt, while Texas State improves to 41-11, and 23-4 in the Sun Belt Conference. This week, the Cajuns will battle Nichols at home tomorrow in a 6 p.m. first pitch, and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday will be their final Sun Belt Series against Arkansas Little Rock, Thursday at 6, Friday at 6, Saturday at 4, before going to Montgomery for the Sun Belt Conference Tournament. Speaking of Cajuns baseball, Carson Rockefort getting a home run in each of the three games this weekend to extend his... Sunbelt hitting streak and also putting him at 16 home runs for the year, which hasn't happened since 2015 with Stephen Trosclair. And it's happened five times before in Louisiana's program. And every time that it has happened, the Cajuns have made a postseason appearance. Will that continue? We'll find out in the next couple of weeks. Martin joins us on the game hotline. What's going on, Martin? Oh, not too much, man. What a weekend it was for the NHL, huh? Five uh, five series that went to Game Sevens. You know, I mean, me as a as a hockey fan, man, I was excited for this this past weekend, man. And uh, I just wanted to talk a little NHL hockey with y'all. Um, but man, what do y'all think of the NHL playoffs so far? Man, it's it's been it's been great. I mean, my caps are out, which that wasn't right. that wasn't fun. But uh, right, y'all played a very good Florida team, and oh, uh, yeah. that that leads me to my next thing. I think they're gonna give the Fighting Mister Greens a run for their money. Uh, I can see that going into the seven games. But man, if y'all if y'all think y'all seen something. So far, man, I think it's going to get even better in the next round. Uh, 
But if if uh, I'm gonna give y'all a team to watch is the uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, man. Uh, their fan base is just absolutely electric. I don't know if y'all had time to catch a game, uh, one of their their home games on TV or whatever. But man, that place is rocking, and um, they're gonna be getting back their starting goaltender Anderson. So uh, I think that's gonna be a good series. Um. And then, uh, of course, my um, Colorado Avalanche, and it feels like they haven't played in, in almost a month, but I don't know if that break uh, is going to hurt them or is it, it's going to do them good, but they're going to have their handful against the Blues. Yep. Uh, but, uh, yeah, man, it's going to get even more exciting. Uh, I think they, they're going to be in seven games. Shoot, they might have all the games again, man. Time to be a- yeah, no, no doubt about it, Martin. Appreciate you taking the time. Appreciate the call, my man. Yes, sir. Have- yeah, you know, the the four series that Martin was talking about, Florida and Tampa, that'll be interesting. Tampa's won the last two Stanley Cups. Can they repeat? Can they make it three? Carolina, New York. I mean, that's going to be a, another great series. Boston took Carolina to the wire. Pittsburgh took New York to the wire. Edmonton, Calgary, again, both of those series went to Game 7s. That's going to be an interesting matchup. And then Colorado, St. Louis. Colorado's been on the shelf for over a week now. And I have I have said long for a long time that sweeping is a great thing, but it's also not a great thing because if the series that you're matched up with goes 6 or 7, you, you could be in for... A long time sitting at home, uh, which could make you a little rusty. That, that's going to make things interesting in the NHL for sure. James, have we received a correct answer? Yes. Uh, Scott Gouin got the answer correct. Okay. And the answer is? Joe Horn. Joe Horn. In 2003, he was the first Saints wide receiver to have double-digit touchdowns in a single season. So congratulations to Scott for winning those two tickets to downtown rising james while we're on the subject of the nhl your bruins are out man how does that make you feel oh man i'm you're broken hearted aren't you i'm i I know i'm holding back the tears and i'm I'm using the boston win as uh to to keep myself the 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 celtics are the only thing keeping you afloat right now yeah at the moment until the saints uh get their season going now one one thing we haven't touched on that we should probably touch on is the NBA draft lottery tomorrow night. I was going to say that that comes up this week, I believe. Yeah, it's tomorrow night. Yeah. Um, where, what are you feeling? What do you? Where do you think the Pelicans end up? I mean, I know obviously it's a, it's a chance thing, right? That's the fun of the lottery. Yeah. The, but yeah, you know, in, in your mind, like if there was a prediction behind it, where where would the Pelicans end up? If if I had to just take a stab in the dark. Of what pick they get with that Lakers pick? Is it completely unprotected? Or, or no, the Lakers have like a certain protection, don't they? Um, don't they have like a certain protection protection with that pick? Because I don't think it was fully like unprotected. I think it was top ten protected. Okay, so as long as it's as long as it stays within the top ten, the the Pelicans get the pick. Correct. I don't think it'll be a number one. 
I think you've already kind of hit the jackpot three times. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be a number one. I, I it, do think it's going to be a top five, though. I do I, think it's going to be a top five. The initial number I thought in my mind was four, but I'm also feeling seven. Yep. Yeah. I, I could definitely see the Pelicans picking seventh in the draft. I, I'm trying to think because... Because I don't, it definitely it shouldn't. There's always a possibility, but I don't think it'll fall outside the top ten. I don't think it'll be like eleven or twelve, which really would suck. Because then the then the uh, the laughing stock goes back to the Pelicans, at least the fans, at least because they were like, oh, eliminate the eliminate the Lakers, go into the playoffs, and we get the Lakers pick. Right, right. So so then so then. All right, so here here are the odds according to USA Today. Okay. They have a 6% chance at number one. Okay. You have a 19% chance that it's a top three. You have a 26.2% chance that it's a top five. Worst case scenario would be a number 12. Average result is a number seven. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's about, it sounds so, about right. I could I could see it being... A number three? I it's just very difficult for me to see it being the number one pick. Yeah. Six six percent's not great odds. I also I also am just not huge on I'm also just not huge on the on Chet. On because I mean Chet's kinda like the number one guy right now. Chet Holmgren. Chet Holmgren, yeah. I mean Jabari Smith from Auburn's up there, Paulo Banchero from Duke. But the, but those will be like between two and four, I think. I think Chet's gonna be. I a, mean, maybe depending on depending on. I guess who, it depends on who gets, who gets number, number one. one. What what's a need more? Because at the same time, New Orleans doesn't necessarily need a center. No, they need guards. Yeah, they. So you could go a Jabari Smith. You could go Apollo Banchero, if the Pelicans do wind up with with a top three pick. So even if it's the number one, you know. There could be a great chance that Chet Holmgren doesn't go number one, depending on who gets number one and what the need is. The Houston Rockets have the top odds at number one at fourteen percent, which doesn't surprise me how terrible they were this year. They have a hundred percent odds that it's going to be a top five pick, which they desperately need, because um, again, they were god awful a year ago and even the year before that. The Magic also fourteen percent chance. Of getting the number one Detroit Pistons as well. It'd be the second straight year that they pick number one. The Thunder at twelve and a half. The Pacers at ten and a half. Portland at nine. There there's a lot of interesting things that could happen with, with this draft lottery tomorrow night. And David's chiming in on the hotline to uh to talk about it. What's going on, David? Yeah, uh, good afternoon. Look, real quick, if any team well, any GM gives the the, the go-ahead to pick Chet at number one, he or she needs to be, I don't know if they have any female GMs right now in the NBA, but he or she needs to be fired right after that pick is made. Why do you say that? Think about it. Chet, number one, do you all think that he has a game to be the number one pick in the NBA? I mean, I don't. I, I'm not saying I disagree with you. Test. Just from the eye test. Yeah, right. I, I, I don't I don't disagree with you. I, I agree that he, he shouldn't be the number one overall pick. I just want to hear your, your explanation as to why you feel that way. 
I don't the physicality for one. Um, I don't think he has the overall game to be, you know, physical in the post. His game isn't polished enough to dominate in the inside. Okay, that's one. We know that he can maybe stretch, be a stretch at some time, but it's not consistent enough to whereas he's a Dirk Nowitzki or anyone like that. So that's secondly. And just overall competition, he played in, you know, as good as Gonzaga was, they didn't play against the toughest competition during the season. Maybe at the beginning and maybe during the tournament, but as far as the overall season, they didn't play against the toughest competition. Yeah, no, I, I don't I don't disagree. I mean, Gonzaga has never really played against top, top competition in, in college basketball. So if you don't think it's Chet Holmgren, who do you think should be the number one overall pick? I'm thinking it may be um, the young man whose dad played at LSU, Jabari. Uh, Jabari Smith, yeah. Yeah, it may end up being him because it seems like he has the overall body for it. He has the overall game for it. It's not like he didn't play against NBA players when he was uh, younger because his dad played in the NBA, so you know um, it kind of goes with the territory. Well, dad playing against NBA players, then guess what? Son will be playing against NBA players also. Yeah. So he has he has kind of like that hands-on experience right there. Yeah, and it's no. not to say that Chet didn't have it, you know, because I'm guessing Chet played against NBA players also, but I don't think he played against the ones to the level that Jabari did. That's fair. That that that's a fair assessment, uh, and and I agree with you. I think Jabari Smith is going to be the number one overall pick. I think he proved time and time again this year that he is just he's ready for the next level. Exactly. Now there may be one or two guys coming from overseas, you know, either Africa or Europe, that may sneak in there. But I don't. I haven't heard anything of any guys from those two continents. Um, have you guys heard of anyone? No. Um, and and to be honest, I don't I don't dive deep into international prospects too much, um, other than you know guys that you can't help but hear about like Luka Doncic or you know other other guys that have come from overseas. But I just uh, again I, I think it's going to come down to to Chet and Jabari. Maybe depending on who ends up with the number one, maybe you could see Banchero come in there. But uh, again, I really think it's a two man race for the number one pick. Okay, okay. Well, you guys have a good one. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate you. James, you, you, got, a, you got a thought on that? I, I agree. I mean, Chet's seven foot, but he's only 194 pounds, and you kind of look at the average center. They're about 240, 250, 260. Kinda, they're, more, they're more in that range. Right. So it's like if 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 I'm going to get Chet, I would pr- I would need him to gain at least 30 40 pounds just to, just to at least be competitive. He's he is more of a stretch since he is a shooter himself. But if you're going to be any sort of force in the paint, I mean you you got to be able to have you got to be able to have some weight to like carry yourself cuz otherwise you're just going to get bodied every time. Yeah. No, for sure. I could I could definitely see him I definitely believe he'll go more between two and four. I feel like he may take a slight fall just because the concerns of his weight. You kind of had the same thing with Zion, but at least with Zion, you, you saw like 
he like was electric. He was explosive. He kind of he he was able to control his weight and like use it to an advantage. Yeah. At least with, with with Chet, I mean, you don't have an advantage with that because no, it's be, only, be, it's being only a not even yeah, it's pretty much only a disadvantage because he's not even two hundred pounds, right? And he's seven foot tall. He's got the height and the length, and he can shoot. It's almost like a it's almost like a bowl bowl. Or a minute bowl, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's almost like a minute bowl where he he's eight foot fifteen, but and and he can shoot, but it's like he he's just like just a straight line. He's just a pencil, mm-hmm. and it's it feels like it's not gonna last Manute, very long. Minute and his son, yeah, both, both of them. them, yeah. So I can I I still see him going top five. I think he'll take a slight fall. I don't really see him going number one. I probably wouldn't take him number one. I would, if I'm the number one overall pick, but I need a center, I would maybe try and find a way to trade out of it, like how the Celtics did, and trade to three. That way, you could get him at a cheaper price, and you don't feel like you 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 don't have the responsibility of I picked I made him the number one guy. I could get him at three or four, feel a little more better about myself. I guess you could say. And you could still work on him and try and help him, like gain weight, and be better as a player overall, and be able to use that as an advantage. Yeah, not just only having the height. No, for sure, for sure. Let's take a timeout right here, and when we return, we will talk some more about college softball, and we will also talk some Saints as well. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh on the game one zero three seven Lafayette and one zero four one. Lake Charles, it is Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Had a rough day at work? Got lady problems? Not to worry, because you have two wingmen right here. You can be my wingman anytime. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Today is the day that you join the game clubhouse. Not only is it free, but you will get the chance to enter to win some tremendous free prizes, like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cyprus Bayou. You can only score that $150 gift certificate by becoming a member of the game clubhouse. It's quite easy. 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. So go sign up today. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. 42 minutes after 5 o'clock on this Monday. Let's update the poll question now, James. How do you feel about Crocs? Where do you where do you stand on, on Crocs? So far, 53% say love them. 20% say okay. 27% say puke. Tyler Landry comes in and says, if you ain't crocking, you ain't rocking. Facts. Big facts. So... You'll win this one, but that's okay. I, th- I think I've won this pretty handily. You'll you'll win this one, but that's okay. That's fine. Every every now and again, you need to have a win in your life. Um, and, and today is is your win. So congratulations to you, James. Thanks. <laughs> All right. What you what's your speculation on Sean Payton? All right. I think when it comes to Sean Payton, this isn't him about being like a part of Fox. This is him. When he was with the Saints. 
So you know how we were kind of making the joke like, oh, he he hates like LSU players, I guess you could say? Yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily that he hates like anybody from LSU. But what I because I mean they had Devery Henderson for a little bit. I, I don't think it's like something that they would really go to. But I think with Sean, I would say for him, it was more the fact that he wanted to prove that like he was the best, I guess you could say. Yeah. So and when it comes down to that, if you want to prove that you're the best, one way that you would do it is you would challenge yourself. And what's one way you could challenge yourself? Maybe you purposely hold yourself back at, at certain positions. So it's like, I have Drew Brees. His arm is diminishing. But with his arm diminishing, I am able to come up with it, it challenges myself to have to create more concepts, try and try and create other stuff. And would it help if I had like maybe some of the better receivers? Maybe if we did push for someone like Odell, whenever he was still in New York instead of the Browns, or even when he was with the Browns, you make the ultimate push for him because you don't have Mike Thomas, but, I feel like he wanted a little help, but not a lot to where it's like you could be like, "Oh yeah, that it was because of Drew Brees and Mike Thomas and Alvin Kamara." I think I think he wanted to show and prove that he could win with as little talent as possible. You know what I mean? That's why you, that's why you you saw him specifically go for Ohio State, but you. And and he would get he would go into the into the Alabama pool every once in a while, but you never saw him go for other places. You you always saw the obscure pick. You know what I mean? It felt like he kind of he every once in a while they would get they would get a Caesar Ruiz whenever you saw other players. I can't think of anybody that was still off top at that well, point in the draft. Jordan Love for one. But you've could have you could have gone for like other picks and he you see that they make more of the obscure pick every once in a while, or they're not as... Now, of course, they did, when it came down to it with the team, you don't have to go get the big money for ages because your team's already pretty talented, but, I mean, would it would it not hurt to, to get one of those higher ends and you don't just kind of get, like, somebody that's maybe going to play second team? Here's, here's my thought process. Okay. Maybe Sean Payton's just bad at drafting. I mean, that's always up there. Maybe he was just bad at drafting. Because you kind of look at most of the draft classes, other than 2000 tick, other than 2006 and 2017. And 2012. Well, he wasn't a part of 2012 since they took away draft picks and he was he was suspended for the whole year. That's true. So he, he doesn't even count towards that one. He he had Brandon Cooks in 2014, but they traded, that, they traded him away because they got Mike Thomas in the second round in 2016. M- as a whole, every draft, except 2006 and 2017, with him being there, it, it's kind of it's been pretty underwhelming. Like you've seen Stanley Jean Baptiste and Damian Swan get picked in like the second and third rounds, and it's like, well, that was a waste of a damn pick. That's true. So, if 
I, I, I kind of agree with you on that. Like, he just sucked at drafting, but I also felt like because he wanted to prove that he was the smartest man in the room and he wanted he wanted to prove that he could win with less talent. So he would kind of be like, well, we do have the one guy, Mike Thomas. We can rely on him a bunch. I, in my eyes, I felt like he was like, well, I don't necessarily have to go get a like a legit wide receiver too. We got Ted Ginn who can kind of somewhat burn on at this point still. He's still got some legs. He's still got some tread on those tires. That's all I really need. I mean, we still got Drew Brees. That's my thought, at least. I don't know. I mean, I could, I could see, I could see your your thought process, but I don't, I don't know. That that seems, that seems a, it's a, a it, tad it, it's a little. I was gonna say it feels a little out there, but you think of Sean's mentality. He does like to prove that he can. Like he's like I said, the smartest man. He's he's like that guy. So how do you prove you're that guy? Either you just go get all the talent, or you maybe hold yourself back a little bit, and then when you win, it's like wow. Sean Payton, he's leading the Saints and he's coaching the Saints into wins, even with practice squad players. Yep. Like damn near practice squad players. What do you what do you think about this while we're on the subject of the Saints? It's a page on Twitter called NFL Rookie Watch. Mm-hmm. Stats prediction for Chris Olave. Probably like 70 catches, 900 yards, 8 touchdowns. Very close. 71 catches. Okay. 914 yards. Uh-huh. 7 touchdowns. God, damn good. I, I, that's pretty realistic. 7? I, I could see 6 or 7. Now, it feels like like 8 to are, 10 are range you, might be a little Are you impressed with those numbers? Like, if that's his rookie year, are you impressed by that? That's pretty good. You would expect that from the third or fourth guy, hopefully, in a sacked receiver class. Especially now. Especially now that you have Jarvis. I I would hope for that much, maybe a little more, if he was specifically number two, and then your number three would have been Callaway or Hardy. Right. But now that you have Juice, if he does actually get the 900 yards and and get seven touchdowns, hell yeah, (laughs) that's... It's a really good rookie season. I don't think it'll win him rookie of the year or offensive rookie of the year. But I think he'll be in the running. I think he'll get fourth or fifth at that point if he if he is that productive. It all kind of just depends on the other players that get drafted or that got drafted, I mean. This is the projection for Christian Watson, who got drafted to Green Bay. 78 catches, 1,005 yards, and seven touchdowns. That's just because the only receiver is Sammy Watkins. True. That's that's very true. They also have Derek Stingley getting forty eight tackles, sixteen pass defenses, and five picks. Five picks in a year by a rookie? That's steep. All right. If you would have said two and a half, three. They also, they also have Aiden Hutchinson getting nine and a half sacks. I believe it in year one. They don't really have much of a pass rush. Could be intriguing. Could be interesting. All right, let's take one last time out. When we return, we'll wrap up today's show and get you set up for Tuesday. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. It is Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time with me, guys, and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana sports station. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Got about two minutes before we send you on your way to your Monday evening. James, no NBA tonight. What are you what are you looking forward to watching tonight? 
I might. I don't know. I might just put on a show for all I know. I may. I'm, I may even watch hey. a movie. Look! Look at you. I may. watching a movie, or I'll probably just get on PlayStation and play Fortnite, or like Madden. Marcus Smart questionable for game one. Yes, he. Wait, his uh, his MRI came off clean, so he should be good. I'm reading should an article. Be. I'm reading an article right here from two thirty this afternoon. Questionable for game one with a midfoot sprain. Smart had an MRI on the foot Monday that came back clean, and that Smart will test the foot Tuesday morning. I think he'll. I still think he'll end up playing. Fair enough. We'll see what happens. Tomorrow's show, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into LSU, McNeese, and Cajuns and their softball regional pairings. We'll talk. We'll preview the NBA games for tomorrow, and of course, you know we're going to talk Astros on To the Moon Tuesday. With, with the guys from Apollo HOU. We'll have a good time with that. Get you set up for their midweek ser- the rest of their midweek series with the Boston Red Sox. The Astros will be live on the game a little bit later on this evening. Appreciate Ross Jackson and Wilson Alexander joining the show. For James Mesh, I am Matt Miguez saying be safe, be well, hug your mom and them. We'll talk to you tomorrow on a beautiful Tuesday. You're listening to the game 137 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles at a Southwest Louisiana's sports station.